Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to episode 21 of When Losing Means Winning. We're back with a new episode of weight loss again. I took a little break from those types of stories, but Ellie actually contacted me uh, about his weight loss story of, I think it's like 135 pounds or something like that. So it's a little bit different. He did have weight loss surgery. So I think he's my first weight loss surgery interview. And he talks a little bit about the struggle he had trying to get the surgeon to even let him do it. He talks about what made him do it, what made him stick with it and why he's kept it off. So I am excited for you to hear from him today and hope you enjoy this interview. Hello, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I am here with Eli. Uh, He is going to talk to us a little bit about his weight loss. I know I've been going a lot of variety lately, which I'm pretty excited about, but I found Eli who is going to tell us a story about how I think you've lost 135 pounds. Is that right? That is. Awesome. Cool. Well, (laughs) why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, tell us a little bit about who you are? Okay. Um, well, quickly, it's Ellie, that, but that's oh, okay. Oh, Ellie, sorry. No problem, ah, happens all the time. Spelled that. Eli. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, uh, I've been living in Panama for the past 18 years. I was born in Venezuela, grew up in the Northeast U.S. all my life, and uh, lived a very active outdoor lifestyle in Vermont, skiing in the winters, riding my bike mm. in the summers. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I moved to Panama to be somewhere different. I've had, I have family here. I've visited all my life and I came just to stay for a little while. I ended up staying for a long, long time. Um, But the work environment down here was different. Life down here is different. It's a very hot tropical country. I ended up working in an office in a cubicle. So I was sitting down, my lifestyle changed. I ended up Mm. living a very sedentary lifestyle. The food down here is really delicious, but it's mostly fried. A lot of it has cheese. Um, (laughs) And uh, so the weight just (laughs) packed on little by little. It's it's actually pretty interesting because I think a lot of times people think, oh, you're from Vermont. Like during the wintertime, you must gain so much weight because you're like so so stuck inside and cold all the time. And then I was like, oh, well, you moved to Panama. It's really warm. Like when you get outside and get like a ton of activity, but it's actually not the case, obviously. So that's It's that's exactly the opposite. Yeah. I, yeah. I would lose weight over the winter because I'd be skiing every day. Right. Um, and then here in the su- it, here, it's just summer all year round. So you spend most of the time inside in the air conditioning mm-hmm. um, because it's just really brutal tropical heat when you're used to New England weather. Um, sure. It took me four years to be able to get out of the shower and actually dry off instead of just starting to perspire <laughs> immediately right away. Yeah. So, um, but the weight packed on. I ended up getting up to 335 pounds over time. And a lot of that was the sedentary lifestyle, but a lot of that was also the change in environment. I missed my friends. I missed my family. Although I had new Mm. friends and family here, it wasn't the same. Um, And so little by little, uh, the weight packed on. I met my wife, who at the time was the head of the Wheelchair Sports Association here in Panama, and eventually became president of the Paralympic Committee here in Panama. But even with that, our lifestyle was still fairly sedentary because 
my wife was quadriplegic. So there weren't a whole lot of activities that we could do together. Um, and just comfort mode set in and the weight just kept coming up. Mm. And uh, like I said, I ended up at 335 pounds. And uh, at that point, we'd been trying to have a child for five years here in Panama, different surrogates. It never worked. And um, then the whole thing, then everything changed. Mm. Uh, do you want me to, I can start telling you the story. It's pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. absolutely. That's what we want right. to hear. So everything changed. Um, we went to my best friend's wedding. Uh, my best friend has the same exact injury as my wife. It's weird. Um, he hit a horse with his car when we were 20. So mm. when I met my wife, who was already in a wheelchair, I was already used to working with people with disabilities and wow. uh, didn't phase me that much. So I saw the woman, not the wheelchair. Right. And uh, she's, a, she's an incredible woman. I mean, she's my hero and, uh, or one of them. So um, we went to his wedding and his fiance at the time um, is conventional, like, you know, like me. And uh, we were sitting around with a small group of friends the night before the wedding. And she, out of nowhere, said to us that you know, we've been trying to have children for five years. She's been telling us for four of those years that she wanted to be our surrogate, but we kept saying no because it was, you know, it might be weird. It was too close. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and she said, well, I don't know two people who need to be parents more than you guys. And so now I'm telling you, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, I'm going to be your surrogate and it's going to work this time. Wow. And, uh, you know, our first reaction was that was what, what? Right. And then, you know, we thought, well, okay, but this is your wedding. Why don't we do your wedding first? And then we'll, we'll talk about it after. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, but it was still, it was really, you know, really touching. And, uh, especially because like they are just getting married and she like, presumably they'd want kids. Right. But they're offering to give you guys kids first. Okay. Well, here's the thing. You're right. But here's the thing. Uh, my friend had a son from a previous marriage and she had two children from a previous marriage. She didn't want any oh, more children. And that's requirement okay. number one for a surrogate. Oh, um, I didn't know that. That they, they don't want any more children. Um, I didn't so know that. Right. Okay. So that there's no attachment or risk of attachment there. Oh. Um, and so, yes, sorry, I, I should have mentioned that. But the truth is a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of people don't think of that. We didn't know that until we started the process. Okay. And, uh, and so she didn't want any more children, but she wanted us to have children. She wanted mm -hmm. me to, you know, me to have children. Sure. Um, so that was just, it was amazing. I mean, it was really incredible. Um, she never took any compensation. Um, we just took care of her. You know, we, we, wow. got her, we made sure we got her insurance. We got her all the clothes she needed, all the food, everything. But and she, she never, was in the States while this was yeah. happening? Uh, okay. Yes. And you were in Panama, right? Yeah. And we were in Panama. And so we were at, the, so we were at a wedding in Martha's Vineyard. They're, they got married in the vineyard. Oh, and, beautiful. Um, it was gorgeous. And, uh, and so we were in, but we moved our whole operation. We had to send, you know, she had to go up there. We had to go up there. My wife had to get, um, you know, the, the, over, the, I'm sorry, the, the ovum, she had to get the eggs harvested up there. We had to do the fertilization yep. up there, everything. Um, 
because she is quadriplegic and because of her particular condition, all spinal cord injuries are different. Um, she can't have any anesthesia mm. and she also can't have any hormonal stimulation. So the harvest had to be one egg at a time. There couldn't mm -hmm. be stimulation to have 40 eggs harvested at once. Mm. Um, and it had to be done without anesthesia. And I don't know if you're familiar with the process, but it's, it's painful. Okay. Um, if you have to do it without anesthesia, it involves, okay. you know, a 10 inch long needle. Mm. Um, and so we did that and she had been doing it already for five years. Wow. Um, and uh, I mean, she's a, a, a trooper that what she went through to do this, that's you know, commitment to family. There's no other way to define it. Mm. And, uh, but we did it up there and it did work. Nice. And that's we awesome. were just, we were just blown away. But in the process, before we actually were able to do the implantation, I realized, wow, okay, this is, this is really happening now. And I'm 335 pounds and I've had, you know, I've grown up skiing. So of course I've had my knees operated on. I've mm -hmm. had, you know, I have slip discs and compressed discs in my back. I have, you mm -hmm. know, I was going to be a first time father at 41 with a beat up body. And there was no way that I could be that morbidly obese also with my mm -hmm. wife in a wheelchair who is very active and can do a ton of things. Right. She still has limitations. Absolutely. Um, and so I needed to make a drastic decision. I had struggled yeah. with my weight all my life. I've always, I'd always been a chubby kid. Back when I was a kid, they called, we, we were called Husky. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, <laughs> and, uh, and so it was always a thing with me. And now looking back, I look at pictures of myself when I was younger and I think, oh, wow, I wasn't really, I wasn't really as fat as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're a kid and kids can be so cruel with each other and you know you're just you, you realize that you're projecting your own insecurities onto other people but when you're kids you don't know that so I always had this mental image in my head of me being huge mm. and then now and then I would see pictures of myself and realize oh wow now I'm you know I'm 40 and I really am huge right <laughs> whole new definition absolutely <laughs> a whole new definition um <laughs> And since I'd been struggling with my weight all my life and I'd tried a million things, I'd gone to gyms, I'd gone to, you know, I had a bike that I was riding, but at, at that weight, I had gotten a new bike for my 40th birthday. My wife bought it for me and I got a full suspension bike because a friend of mine said, Hey, Ellie, we're, we're not kids anymore riding our, you know, riding mountain bikes on the trails in Vermont. Um, get a full suspension bike. Your back will thank you. But I got on that bike and at the weight that I was, it was like riding a waterbed. It was mm. ridiculous. I mean, yeah. that was way over the weight limit. Yep. And, I think it's, uh, yeah, just real quick, I think I've talked about this on a previous episode, but uh, one of the things that I find most frustrating, and I was never like that heavy, the heaviest I got was 250, but even at that weight, being comfortable exercising is so hard. And so like, that's why I hate when people say just move more because people that are that overweight don't know how to move more comfortably. Like we don't know what to do because nothing's built for stuff. That's like that big of a person to handle. Right. That's um, right. and like, like clothes and stuff like that, just nothing's comfortable. So it, on the fact that you already have to be uncomfortable moving more and exercising, like you're, you're 
uncomfortable because nothing feels right. You know, it's all right. built for people that are athletic already. So, um, and it, so and it's a really that, good you story. Feel awkward. You <laughs> yeah. feel awkward because yeah. you know you look weird. Yeah. Because you're just uncomfortable. And it's just, yeah. uh, it's, and you know, I, it's, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's, it's physically awkward. And it, then it's also psychologically tough. Yeah. Uh, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, all I was going to say is that when I, my thing that got me started was running, interestingly, even though I was like 250 pounds. And, part of it was like an ego thing because like all you ever saw were people that were skinny running it felt like you know there were people that were like weighed a lot less running and for me it was like no like i'm gonna be the example for someone that like someone that's 250 pounds can go out there and run and like actually be fit and like actually have exercise for me it was a little like an ego like push it it's like shove it in your face that like people overweight can run so did you start like that uh kind of yes actually i did i started with a 20 minute run every other day and that's how i, I... mean did you start with that mindset that attitude i asked um, it took me a long time to get there yeah it yes i did because i because of my personality i just like shoving things in people's faces that sounds crazy <laughs> like sound just, crazy. Like... that's my wife is like that oh okay well great <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so anyway um okay so you got this bike and it was really hard to ride so yeah did you... it was awful go ahead i stopped yeah. riding i stopped mm -hmm. riding yeah. um and then a year later this whole thing happened and i realized okay i need to do something drastic and what mm -hmm. i'm building up to is i'm building up to something because generally people who have experienced a lot of weight loss either frown on or have done have had some sort of surgery Mm -hmm. I did not, I went to go have surgery because I needed some sort of kickstart, yeah. but mm -hmm. my doctor would not give me a sleeve. He wanted to give me a bypass because he said, people of your weight don't change their relationship with food. And if I give you a sleeve, you'll gain all your weight back. So wait, what's a sleeve? Can you go okay, over a that? A sleeve is when they do a, like they, they cut away 70% of your stomach. Mm, basically having okay. your stomach stapled is, oh okay you've heard yeah heard of that yep um so they cut away 70 percent of your stomach and they they give you a new stomach but it's 30 percent of what it was mm -hmm. um and it has to heal and then but if you don't take care of yourself you will gain all your weight back and the stomach re regrows in size stomach because that's just what it'll do right back yeah, yeah. absolutely mm -hmm. um but that's what I wanted because I wanted to be able to go back to an active lifestyle. I wanted to have that motivation of, I need to keep this weight off. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to have an intact digestive system. I wanted to be able to be fully healthy mm -hmm. um, without having that bypass of, well, now you can't absorb all your nutrients and you have a lot of, a lot of additional associated health risks and problems. Sure. Really though, the motivation, I wanted to have to work to keep the weight off. Mm -hmm. um, because I need, I need that motivation because I'm not a tremendously disciplined person. Yeah. That's um, good to admit. <laughs> yeah. So I went and, uh, I convinced the doctor to do the sleeve, to do the, the stomach stapling, um, which was, he still was reluctant to do it because it would have made him look bad. He mm. doesn't want, he doesn't want to do it because if the client gains weight back, it makes him look bad. Yeah. Uh, and he admitted that to my face, which made mm -hmm. me want it even more because mm -hmm. I just, you know, there was a little bit of, of shoving it in his face that just watch, watch me do this. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I did, and that was the kickstart I needed. And that was uh, brutal. That was a really tough experience. But I had learned from my friend who hit the horse and my wife, uh, hearing both of their stories, the doctors told them both that you have two choices right now. You can live or you can die. Uh, you can have a positive attitude and make the best mm. of your situation and live, or you can have a negative attitude, feel sorry for yourself, and you will end up dying. So mm -hmm. obviously my case wasn't that extreme, uh, but I did take that fundamental lesson. And I mean, I, you say that, but at 330 pounds, like, or 350, I forget. But anyway, at whatever, 335, at whatever weight that was, like, oh, say what you will, but being obese comes with more risk factors. Without a right? doubt. So you don't know, like you could have easily had a heart attack in the next year or two. It could literally be life or death, like, to be honest. Yes. And, so, yes, anyway. you're right. Luckily for me, I had been athletic all my life. And so I was a, right. a healthy fat guy, but I was 40 and I wasn't going to be a healthy fat guy for long. Mm -hmm. um, Can you walk through some of the challenges? You said that it was uh, like a difficult surgery. Um, can you walk through just a little bit what that means? Like, what does it mean to be difficult or what well, did it kind of look like? Yeah, the surgery itself wasn't difficult. That was, you know, that was easy. Okay. Um, but the recovery was difficult. Okay. I had to, it was not just a physical recovery, but also an emotional and psychological recovery. Mm. Um, I had to maintain a positive attitude the whole time. And I did every step of the way. The doctor said before it happened, he said, I'm going to starve you to the, take you right to the brink of starving you to death. Mm. And then we're going to bring you back. Mm. And I laughed, but that's exactly what he did. Wow. Um, and so for the first few days, I could only take one ounce sips of water every mm -hmm. two hours. Mm. Um, and then after a few days, I was able to increase my, the amount of water I could drink um, and then add a little bit of salt, uh, like broth, just to get mm -hmm. some nutrients because I now had days without any sort of calories, just mm -hmm. water. Um, but my stomach had to heal in addition to my body needing nutrients. I couldn't give any because my stomach was still healing. Mm. Um, but again, the positive attitude came in that it was awful, but I knew that this was going to end and there was going to be a next step and it was going to get better. It could only get better from here mm. <laughs> yeah. as long as I maintain a positive attitude. Yeah. Um, and that's what got me through. That's what got me through. So that's amazing. the physical recovery was that. And I had to sort of get up and just walk laps around the apartment because that's all I could do. The really hard part was the emotional and psychological healing that needed to be done. I needed mm -hmm. to change my relationship with food. Mm -hmm. I couldn't celebrate with food. I couldn't be miserable with food. I couldn't, I couldn't tie my emotions or my mood or anything to food anymore. So I had to find a new way to handle that. And I yeah. did what I didn't want to do. I really didn't want to do it, but I ended up doing it was tying it to exercise. So when I was happy, I celebrated by exercising because it, mm. it raised those endorphins and made me feel good. When I was sad yeah. or depressed or bummed out or anything, I exercised because it made mm. me feel better. Um, and at first, honestly, I hated it, I mm -hmm. hated it, hated it, hated it, but I learned to love it. Um, and, and then when I could finally go to the gym, oh, that, go ahead. When, when you say exercise, you mean just like walking around the apartment a little bit or at first, that's all I could do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just walking around the apartment and then I could go outside and walk a little bit outside, but I still couldn't lift any weight because I couldn't stress my body too much because again, the stomach takes a while to heal. Sure. Um, and then little by little, I was able to get some light kettlebells and start doing some, some of that, some body weight exercises that were very basic. And I still couldn't do push-ups or sit-ups or anything. What led you to kettlebells? Uh, my friend, my friend in the wheelchair, he mm. had always been an athlete before his accident. And that's how he stayed in shape mm-hmm. um, or relative shape. Uh, he's also quadriplegic from, you know, paralyzed from the chest down. And so he would work his arms and chest and shoulders because that's what he had. And he used kettlebells. And so he recommended nice. them to me. I love kettlebells. I'm a huge kettlebell fan, but they're just a fad now, it feels like. So it's interesting to hear that even like that long ago, you were uh, into kettlebells. Well, yeah. And this was 2015. I got the operation in 2014. So 2000, end of 2014 in November is when I was operated mm. on. And then in 2015. So it wasn't that long ago. Oh, but, okay. But at the same time, kettlebells have been around forever. Yeah. Um, and it, may feel like a fad, but I don't think it's as yeah, much fad of a fad. Fad wasn't the right word. I guess I just, I hadn't heard of them for three, like th- until maybe probably three years ago, the same time. And like you said, they've been around forever. So yeah. Uh, um, but anyway, yeah, my friend, I had seen them, but I had never used them. And mm-hmm. my friend recommended them as something different instead of just free weights and, and dumbbells. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started and also again, hated them. Because I hadn't, I had not been used to doing exercise like that. So, Traditional workouts, gym stuff. Uh, yeah. So you hated them, but what got you to do them? Was it the, you, you wanted to prove your doctor wrong? Was it? I was going to be a dad mm. and I had wanted to be a dad all my life. And I was mm. finally going to be a dad. Um, and I needed to. Plus, I had gone through that surgery. I was putting myself through this hell um, with the food and the no food and the starving. And um, I had to fully commit. So that was it. I was fully committed. I was in 100%. That was the only way I was going to do this with any sort of success. And the only thing that was going to get me through this was to have 100% positive attitude and do everything exactly the way I was supposed to do it. Um, How did you keep that positive attitude? Was there any strategies or skills you used in particular, or was it just straight up determination? Straight up determination. Um, My, my wife is a believer in tough love. So she wasn't, you know, they're cheerleading me, but she was in her own way. I see it now. I didn't see it then. Mm. Um, But she really was trying to help uh, the whole time but in her, you know, in her way, which is not my way. Yeah. Uh, But yeah. So in my head, it was just straight up determination. I need to do this. I'm either going to not do it and be miserable and feel guilty about not doing it and then go into that Mm -hmm. cycle, which I'm prone to, or I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And I did. And, and realistically, I'm sure there were days that you did skip. Right. Did you ever skip a workout or skip a day moving or? Not until about eight months in. Okay. And that was because again, oh, you know what? Who was my cheerleader was my friend in the wheelchair. He was there Mm. every time I felt down. He was there to remind me 
um, that doing something is better than doing nothing. So mm. even if you do yep. a little bit, do something instead of nothing so that you don't let your mind feel like, oh, you know what? It's okay to skip something. Mm -hmm. I never cheated on my diet. I followed everything to the letter. Um, wow. But consequently, I never had a bad experience. They have, you know, there's all sorts of things. It's called dumping that if you eat too much and then you end up throwing up and mm -hmm. because you're just not ready for it. I followed every rule to the letter. I maintained a positive attitude the whole time and I never had any sort of health side effect. And I feel Got really it. lucky about that. But yeah. it was thanks to, you know, the people around me that sort of kept me on track. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad that you were uh, transparent with them. I mean, it sounds like they're close friends, but sometimes I'm sure it could be hard for people going through a surgery like that to be open about it with other people, for sure. Because it's a little embarrassing, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but again, this group of friends that we were all sitting around at, at my friend's wedding, one of them had already done this, but she had a oh. bypass and she mm. had lost 100 pounds. And this that was four years before. Um, and then we, and we all went to you know, middle school and high school together. We'd known each other right. for a long, long time. Sure. And yeah. so we had, there wasn't really a whole lot that we could do to be embarrassed in front of each other that we hadn't already done. <laughs> years, sure. Honestly. Especially high school. Yeah, of course. Um, can you catch us up on the surrogacy story? So when you had the surgery, yeah. how, where was the surrogacy story fit in in that? Like, where was she at? Okay, when I had the surgery, we were, we had already been at it for five years. We had had four different surrogates, failed every time. Here in Panama, it just wasn't working out for us. Mm -hmm. um, it was also kind of dangerous because there are no laws down here that regulate surrogacy. Mm. Uh, so it was borderline, it wasn't illegal, but it wasn't necessarily, a, you know, something that was accepted. Um, and so the surrogacy had just started up in the U.S., Okay. With now we had made the decision to do it up there. We had started the process of creating, trying to create the embryos in, mm -hmm. through IVF. Um, when, when I started with the weight loss, so they they were happening in parallel. Okay. And that so was again that was the trigger. Once we realized, oh my god, this is really going to happen, and it was just you know the emotions of whoa, this is you know we're really going to be parents now. Hmm. So she was pregnant already or not quite yet? Not yet. Okay. We had the, we had started the process. We had, um, we were hoping to get some viable embryos, but we knew that one way or the other, this was going to happen. Again, my friend was the one that said this, this time it's going to work and it's going to work mm. because I say so. Mm. Nice. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, if, if only the universe worked that way, but, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but somehow but it, it did, right? But it did, it did. That's and amazing. I trusted him. And so again, he was really, I have to say, he was really uh, instrumental in all of this. Mm. Um, you know, he was the positive force. He and his new wife were the positive force behind this. They got married on July 4th, 2014. Mm. I had my surgery in November, 2014. And she was pregnant by May of 2015. Oh, amazing. That's great. Yeah. Um, and so then through the pregnancy, I was continuing this process. And now once she was pregnant, it was, well, this is real, real mm, now. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that was just added, added motivation. 
Can you, uh, there's a couple questions for you. One, did you, what was the weight loss rate? Like what, how, how is it going through? So like month one, month two, um, can you give people an idea of what it looks like after you've had the surgery? Yeah. Uh, the first, the first week was just a few pounds. The Mm -hmm. second week was 10 pounds in a week. Yeah. Um, because remember, right, yes. Okay. <laughs> so remember you're only drinking like broth and like not a lot right now. So right. everyone needs to keep that in mind while they're listening to these numbers. <laughs> yes. Rapid weight loss doesn't feel good. Yeah. Um, and it's not, unless you're being monitored by a professional, it's not healthy, not yeah. recommended to do it on your own at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I started exercising, the the weight melted off at first really really fast just because i wasn't eating i wasn't able to ingest any calories and so my body was burning off a lot more than i was taking in um which sounds good but it's not um and then after the first month the first month i lost 30 pounds the second month i lost 30 pounds again Mm -hmm. um and so it was you know it, it was about 60 almost 60 pounds in the first two months. The Do you, second, oh, go ahead. The second month was another 20 pounds. Um, and then it started to slow down and level out to a more healthy rate. Mm-hmm. And I got frustrated because mm. I thought, oh, well, I'm not losing weight as fast as I was. And so mm-hmm. I must not be doing something right. Mm. But my doctor kept explaining, Ellie, that's the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's going to work. I want you to try to lose. Your goal is to lose 100 pounds in a year, Mm -hmm. which I thought, well, I mean, if I can lose 60 pounds in two months, no problem. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Right. I was wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad I was wrong. I'm really glad I was wrong. Uh, Did... When you were like not able to eat all that food, how did you process your emotions? Like, so, oh yeah, you talked about this. Sorry. You did the exercise thing. So you replaced eating with exercise to some degree, right? Like when you want to be happier. Yeah. Okay. That took a while though. That transition didn't happen all at once. That took a while. And so at first I didn't know how to process my emotions. Mm -hmm. I didn't have an outlet. So I was, you know, sometimes I'd get a little cranky and irritable um, and then I'd realize what I was doing. I tried, you know, I try to be self-aware. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't always work, but I, you know, I, I put in the effort <laughs> Yeah. and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'd realize, oh man, I'm just, you know, I am being insufferable right now. I just got to yeah. separate myself. And, you know, I certainly can't be like this once, once the baby comes, but at that point, hopefully I will be in a much better place. Mm-hmm. Um, so at first it was a real struggle. Honestly, it was a real struggle, um, emotionally and psychologically to try to find a way to process these emotions differently than I had been doing in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think self-awareness is really critical and something I like talk about a lot on my podcast, actually. Um, I'm a huge advocate for it. I think yeah. it just makes sense, right? To be it really does. It's important to know yourself, but it's sometimes painful to get to know yourself because you, know, you don't always like what you see. <laughs> so true. Um, so true. So uh, my other question was, 
did you get back on the bike anytime soon? Like, were you able to get back on the bike? Or was there a point where you're like, I'm ready to try the bike again? I don't think yes. it's going to feel like a waterbed anymore. I couldn't wait to get back on the bike. And even when I did get back on the bike, I was still a little too heavy for it. But I had now gotten myself into a much better place psychologically so that I was able to sort of forgive myself for those things because everything was still my fault. Mm. You know, I was, it's my fault that the bike doesn't work because I'm too heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was able to sort of work past that. The hardest part for me was being in the gym because I was the fat guy at the gym. Mm-hmm. I had never liked gyms before and now I really hated it because mm-hmm. I was at a gym here in Panama and here in Panama, the pretty people go to the gym and I'm in Panama city, which is the urban center of the country. It's the capital of the country. And, um, I was literally getting made fun of Mm. by young mean girls. I hate to Uh. stereotype and put it that way. Um, but these were teenage girls who were laughing and pointing at me. And I thought, I, I need, I, this didn't even happen to me in high school and it's mm. happening to me now and I'm 40 years old and it bothers me and it bothered yeah. me so much and I was so embarrassed. One, I was just embarrassed that it happened and two, I was so embarrassed that I let it bother me that much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I went home, I went home and I told my wife, you know what, I'm going to keep working out at home for a while longer, lose some more weight before I go back to the gym. Mm-mm. And it took her a few days to get out of me, to get the reason out of me. And when I told her, she, like I said, she's a fan of tough love. And um, she just, she pointed out just how ridiculous I was being. Um, and, uh, and told me, no, 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 you're going to go back to the gym and you're going to keep going back until you don't worry about what these other people think anymore. Amen. And, yeah. Uh, and I did just because, and I don't know if it was out of fear um, of of her reaction or if it was you know out of fear of myself giving up and not going back and quitting which i had a history of doing and i didn't want to mm-hmm. fall into that trap again or a combination of all of those things but i did go back and i got laughed at and i just tried to ignore mm-hmm. them but i realized oh my this is what it's like to be a kid when you're bullied in high school mm-hmm. which i wasn't i mean I, I i was lucky to not have had a bully in high school mm-hmm. um and little by little the way it came off and people saw that I never missed a day. And, you know, you see the same people at the gym because you go at the same time. Yep. And, uh, and so I saw their reactions to me changing. We would mm-hmm. say hi to each other. or We would acknowledge each other at least because now I became someone that was, oh, this isn't a fat guy who's at the gym for a few weeks and then going to quit. This mm-hmm. person is really, this person's really losing weight and working mm-hmm. hard. And, um, and I was, I was working harder than I'd ever worked in my life. This was the yeah. hardest thing I had done up to that point. Um, and uh, and it, I would say it's the hardest thing I'd ever done, but I think being a parent is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but this is a close second. <laughs> With, yeah. You know, the rewards feel almost the same. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a parent yet, but I've heard some things. So I feel comforted in knowing that maybe I've, I've had some preparations from having to lose so much weight that I could do something hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. You know, losing a lot of weight is, is harder than most people think and give you credit for until they go mm-hmm. through it. 
but it's like anything else that's really difficult. Uh, yeah. You think you react, you think you'd handle it a certain way, but you don't really know until you're actually in it. Yeah. That's why I want to do this podcast a lot because I think that, like I was talking to you before we started recording, um, personal trainers, and you've seen people, let me just say, personal trainers will like, like we kind of talked about, they, they just assign you exercises that they think is going to be like really simple for you to do, but you're so overweight and they don't understand that it's actually harder like when you have so much stuff to have to move <laughs> you know and um that's why I, yeah i that's why i like to bring bring reality to it and paint a bigger picture of like what it's actually like you know um because it is a lot harder than i think people make it out to be uh, after this experience i fully believe that if you are someone who is extremely overweight you need to find a personal trainer who was also extremely overweight, who mm -hmm. went through this particular problem. Because otherwise, like you said, they're giving you recommendations that they don't, they know the theory, but they don't know the practice. Right. And you can have all the theory in the world, but that's not nearly as valuable as real life experience. Yeah. Because and, behind uh, the scenes yeah. that a, a personal trainer probably hasn't ever, I, this isn't true, but a lot of personal trainers or people that have been athletic their whole life haven't walked into a gym and gotten laughed at, right? That's Which right. is a whole nother level of like, you know, if, if you had a personal trainer and like you didn't come the next week or you, they're like, why don't you ever come on your own? And it's like, well, because I get laughed at, right? Like you, right. it's so hard to say to a personal trainer. Um, yeah, because it, it, it's it, not that I hate this experience because I get tired. It's right. I hate this experience because I, because I get tired, it hurts. And then I also get made fun of and I feel insecure and I feel ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a, it's a whole different set of experiences that yeah. a lot of these people that are personal trainers have never had to, nor will probably ever have to deal with. Yeah. Um, and that's not taking anything away from personal trainers, really, honestly. Right. Um, no, 100%. But, but there's no substitute for experience. And unless you can really live something or try to really put yourself in someone else's shoes, talk to them not just about their physical struggle, but also about the emotional and psychological facet of losing weight, extreme amounts of weight. Um, I think they're, they're missing out on an opportunity there. Yeah. Big time. Um, yeah. And I, uh, man, that's part of the reason I get so uh, passionate about like showing up to things when I'm or especially when I was very overweight and like trying to do things because of that stigma of like, you know, if I was smaller and trying to go to the gym just to build weights, no one would ever like make fun of me or think of me any different because everyone there is small trying to lift weights. But when you're like big and you go to try to lift weights, you get like made fun of a bunch. And it's like, uh, anyway, right. keep going fatty. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just yeah. awful. It's awful yeah. to hear that. Yes. It's terrible to hear that. Yeah. Um, and I was always very sensitive to people that were overweight because I was overweight and I never wanted to make fun of anyone because of it. And I never did. And I still don't. And I, I don't, that's, you know, everyone has their sense of humor, but fat humor has never been my thing and is now <laughs> yeah. more than ever not my thing. Yeah, um, I bet. But conversely, and let me ask if this happened to you. Sorry that I'm turning nope, the go ahead. around nope. to you. Once I lost all of the weight, I got down to my goal weight of 200 pounds. Mm 
Mm, cool. Um, and at that point, people were telling me, oh, you're, you look too skinny. You don't look healthy. Mm. You should eat more. And mm. I thought, you have got to be To be kidding, kidding me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Did that happen to uh, you? It didn't. I will tell you a personal story about that later, though. Okay. Um, because it didn't happen to me. It happened to someone else I knew, uh, which is very interesting. And I just don't want to share their story. Yeah, um, okay. No, I haven't gotten that. And I think it's because like right now I am probably at a weight where everyone would, I don't know if expect me to be at, but like, if you just looked at my build, you'd be like, she looks kind of, if there is a normal, normal, you know, I, I didn't get to that really low weight. Um, maybe uh, for a good reason and not like on, not on purpose. Like I feel like I'm always trying to lose weight, but, um, just because I, I got into lifting more towards the end of my journey. So mm -hmm. things started to like fill out in like a more structured way. So I never got down to the weight of like, wow, you could probably eat some food. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm probably where people would expect me to kind of be, I guess, based on my structure. So, um, I went anyway. through that point. And I also, because, you know, at the gym, that's what I started doing. I learned that the fastest way to weight loss is through muscle building, not just mm -hmm. aerobic exercise, but actually yeah. muscle building. Um, and so when I passed through, Mike, I wanted to be at about 220, 215 mm -hmm. is where I thought I'd be happy. And when I passed through there, that's when I felt the best. Um, when I was down to 200 pounds and I just worked to get to 200 pounds because I said that that's where I was going to get. And I'd worked mm. this hard so far to lose all, you know, lose all this so far, I'm going to get to my goal weight. Sure, um, sure. And I got there and I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good. And I, yeah. so when people told me, oh, you don't look good. It was like, I know, but ugh, just lay off. I mean, all my life, people have told me I'm too fat. Now you're telling me I'm too skinny. Come on. Great. <laughs> But sure. I knew that I was too skinny. I knew that I didn't look good. I didn't feel good either. Um, yeah. But I got to my and you probably and then little also, by little I gained back. Sorry. You probably also weren't happy either. I wasn't. Yeah. No, I wasn't happy at all. Um, but once I got up back up to, um, but I did it healthy. I wasn't, I didn't mm -hmm. gain 15 pounds of fat, but mm -hmm. I did get back up to 215, 220. Mm -hmm. And um, once I was there, I did feel good. And I felt happy and I felt content and I wasn't perfect. I didn't look the way I wanted to look. I wasn't chiseled, mm. um, but I was definitely, I looked much better than I ever had mm -hmm. um, all my life. And I felt great, which was the most important part. I felt yep. good. Yep. I, still, I still would turn sideways to go through what I felt were tight spaces. Um, mm. Those habits die hard. I still do it five years later. <laughs> Sure. Um, six years later, I still do it. I still find myself sort of trying to trying fit. to make yourself smaller, yeah, trying yeah. to make myself mm -hmm. smaller. Um, yeah. And friends would make fun of me, and I didn't realize that I was doing that until. And they were, you know, poking fun at me in a facetious sort of way. That hey, you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, turn <laughs> sideways to squeak between a chair and a wall anymore. And I thought, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> how about that that's so funny that's cute yeah um i one of the biggest things that 
I wish people would understand a little bit better too about being bigger is all of the small impacts that people don't think about, like even getting on an airplane. I mean, that got really publicized kind of recently, but like sitting in airplane seats is awful. And, um, you know, sometimes going to theme park rides can be awful for me, like finding life jackets that fit, like if you were going to do something fun. Yeah. Like, right. Like people don't understand (laughs) how hard and annoying it is to do all that and um you know every time something like that happens you just feel awful and you feel just like what is what's going on with my life but um anyway (laughs) uh one of the questions i wanted to ask so um kind of finishing up the timeline so when how long did it take you to get to that 200 did you do it within the year no i well i did lose the 100 pounds in the year oh yeah i got to 230 by the end of that year um and it took me another six months to okay. get down to 200. So it took mm-hmm. me six months to lose 30 pounds, um, which is healthy, normal weight loss. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before I would have been so frustrated that I couldn't lose that 30 pounds in a month. Now I realized, okay, if I can lose, you know, it took me six months to lose 30 pounds, I feel good about that. Yeah. And it was a huge psychological shift that happened over the course of that 18 months. Yeah. And uh, at this point, you have a kid, just about, we have, right? We have a boy, yep. Yeah. Um, I had a little boy. He was born uh, seven weeks early. That was additional stress. We went, Oof. flew up to the US. We were down here. Uh, he was supposed to be born in December. He was born in October. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my friend called me up one day. I'll never forget it. He called me up one day and he said, sit down. And I said, okay. And I got a little nervous. And he yeah. said, you know, my wife had some weird contractions. Uh, she talked to the doctor. The doctor sent her home. She's laying down. Just wanted to let you know. But everything's mm-hmm. fine. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, thanks. That was, you know, I appreciate the communication. That was super. Mm-hmm. Um, and six hours later, he called me again. He said, now you really need to sit down. And I said, okay. <laughs> and he said, uh, your baby is coming. Oh, wow. So wait, what? What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, my wife has already driven herself to the hospital because they lived right around the corner from the hospital. And she mm-hmm. is another extraordinarily tough woman. Um, she was having contractions. She drove herself to the hospital. Uh, and he said, and I'm on my way. You guys need to get here as soon as you can. Wow. And so at that point, this was now afternoon. And so I called, I called the airlines. I called the airports. Uh, my wife got on the phone with her friends and connections trying to get on the next flight. It was like five o'clock in the afternoon. The next flight was out at seven, but we couldn't, and no matter who we talked to and what sort of mountains we tried to move, we couldn't get on that seven o'clock flight. But we were able to get myself, my wife, and both of our moms on the first flight out in the morning. Mm. And so that next morning, uh, our baby was born. He was four pounds, 12 ounces, but robust and healthy. And uh, my friend's wife would not leave the hospital until we got there. So they tried mm-hmm. to discharge her and she said, no, I'm not leaving. Aww. I'm not leaving until they get here. Um, and so we had to fly into Orlando and then drive up to Charleston. And uh, it was the fastest I had ever driven, I think, in my entire <laughs> life. Nice. And... Uh, you know, we got there and we walked in and there, you know, first we saw her and then we saw the baby mm-hmm. and um, it was just, 
incredible. That's awesome. That's and so beautiful. That, you know, at that point, that was just, you know, confirmation, further confirmation that, okay, I, I have to continue this process. Sure. That's great. Um, did your doctor change his mind about giving people that surgery versus the other? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. He did. He opened up a little bit. He still is concerned about his reputation. Sure. But he tried to make me sort of the poster boy for his practice, (laughs) which I was not going to do. (laughs) Um, But I did have some conversations with him about that, saying you need to, you need to try to give people more of a chance. If they Mm -hmm. really, really want to do it, you have to let them try. Mm -hmm. And I know that your reputation is on the line and, you know, medicine is a big deal here in Panama. Medical tourism is a thing here in Panama. Mm. People come here for medical treatments. Um, the doctors are really good here. Um, in general, most of them have studied either in the U.S. or Europe or Cuba. And those are three excellent places to study medicine. And, uh, and so I did have that conversation with him. And he has opened up a little bit, not as much as I would like. Mm-hmm. But I like to think that I did have a little bit of an impact on that, on him. Nice. Yeah, I don't know what it would take to know whether someone's going to follow through or not, because it's, it would be so hard to know that, you know? Yeah, I don't think you can. I don't think anyone can. But I think you can try to judge a little bit from the person. The thing with, with me is that, and the thing with a lot of these surgeries, sorry that I interrupted you. The thing with a lot of these surgeries is that the doctor doesn't have time to get to know the patient very well. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, a matter of days or weeks, depending on the urgency of the surgery. In my case, I went in for a consult and I, I took like three or four days of constantly hounding him to convince him to let me do the stapling, the surgery that I wanted. And then four days later, I was in the operating room. Mm-hmm. So the doctor just had to go on, he, he had to go on my word, but he also, I had the benefit of being married to someone who was relatively well known in the city, the community. Mm. Um, and so her word went a long way. Uh, my mother-in-law's word went a long way. Um, and that was really helpful. Yeah in convincing him to, okay, hey, if these people are saying it about him, then okay. I mean, here's this, you know, this, this guy from the U.S. who's here and, and you know, who knows? But yeah. we convinced him and, and let it happen. But you're right. The doctor, I mean, no one, you can't really ever know until you're in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about what your diet like looked like or looks like now, I guess, uh, that you can maybe get back to normal eating. I'm not even really sure how it all works eventually. I know that there's still things that are off limits for you, aren't there? Nothing. Really? Okay. Because I have a full working digestive system. The most important thing was to get back to a full balanced diet Mm. um, and not cut anything out. Everything is important. Um, your, your, Your brain feeds off fat. Your brain needs fat to eat. You can't cut fat out. The one thing that you can maybe cut out is refined sugar. 
because you get mm-hmm. enough sugar and other foods. But you know, eating a no-fat diet is not healthy. Eating a no-carb diet, your brain eats carbs too. You need carbs. Um, you need, you know, you need vegetables to process the proteins and the carbs. Everything works together. There's a reason for a balanced diet. Um, and these, these diets that you can't eat any of this. Well, that's not, that's a diet. That's not a lifestyle. And what I needed to do was not have a diet, but have a new lifestyle of Mm -hmm. healthy, balanced eating. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I try to, you know, I limit my junk food and I try to watch what I eat and, and eat healthy. Um, but I don't cut anything out completely. Yeah. Good. It doesn't sound like you, it dominates your life either. I know that it can easily take over your life trying to plan and be perfect all the time. And, um, that's a recipe for failure. You have to change the lifestyle and just make it your life. This is second nature. This is my life and not something that you obsess over and focus on because eventually you're going to break. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet your wife is really supportive of the um, healthier eating too. Yes. Yes, completely. She's always been a healthy eater. Um, They, my wife is Jewish um, and I'm not Jewish. That was the whole nother thing. Um, (laughs) But uh, the, the Jewish community down here and in general, um, the Sephardic Jews that are from the Mediterranean area, not Europe, but the Middle Eastern area, that's where their history is from, they eat a more Mediterranean diet. And I have to say, it's delicious. And (laughs) it has, I mean, it's super balanced. Mm -hmm. It has everything you would need. And it's so, so good. And really, really healthy. So, you know, it's just naturally sort of happened as well. I was lucky in that, in that I had that, I had access to that culture and food culture as well. Good. And so how old is your, sorry, was it a son or a daughter? He's a son and he's now four and a half. We just celebrated his half birthday. Um, Any excuse for any excuse for a celebration, celebration. especially now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My grandmother always liked to celebrate half birthdays. My grandmother was Panamanian. And um, so they will look for any excuse for a party. And uh, so we always celebrated half birthdays and I brought that into our new family. And so we just celebrated his half birthday and uh, made a cake and everything. And, um, so he's, he's now four and a half and I have another son who just turned one in February. It's from and the so, same surrogacy. Uh, different surrogacy. Okay, cool. Different surrogacy, different person. Uh, this one was a friend of my wife's that we did mm-hmm. that down here. That was a whole different experience. Awesome. And do you feel like you can do everything you hoped that you could do after now that you've lost the weight? Yeah. Chase them around and lift them up and take care of them. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was the best decision. It was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life was to get that surgery because that surgery was the jumpstart I needed. I needed to go through that pain and suffering because that was the motivation that I used to keep the weight off. Mm. I don't want to ever have to go through that again. I don't want to go through feeling like I felt before the surgery that, that, you know, like you said, just being uncomfortable and being huge and being mm-hmm. physically uncomfortable, but also psychologically and socially uncomfortable. I don't want to go through that again. So I'm not going to let myself get there. But having gone through that 
the pain and suffering, and I'm doing air quotes, the pain and suffering of that weight loss was also, that's the motivation that I use to keep the weight off, to yeah. try to keep the weight off, you know, right now, lately, okay, so I've gained a little bit of weight right now, and I'm letting myself be okay with it. I'm yeah. not totally okay with it, honestly. And I'm saying, you know, publicly that I'm okay with it. Not entirely. <laughs> yeah. But I have to forgive myself that because this is, you know, we're in extraordinary times. But I yes. know that I will do whatever I need to do to get the weight back off. And I know how to do it properly and health and in a healthy way. Yeah. This is such an insane time. Like I I, I'm having a hard time processing it still too. Um, thankfully we bought a Peloton bike mm. and so we got nice. it just in time. They're like super backed up here now. And, uh, that's been like a saving grace and that between like my gym has, um, broad, been broadcasting classes. So between those yep. two things, thank God I get moving, but yeah, I, you know, everything fits fine right now. So I feel like I think I'm doing okay, but I haven't stepped on the scale and I just refuse because <laughs> you know what? It's okay. Yeah, like, yeah. That was the other thing my doctor told me that after a while, stop weighing yourself. Yeah. Don't mm. worry about your weight. Worry about how you look and how you feel. Yep. If you feel good and your clothes fits, you're okay. You're going yep. to weight fluctuates. Yes. When you're healthy and normal, your weight fluctuates. I mean, some days you'll be, I mean, sometimes you'll go up five pounds and then you'll lose it again. Yep. Again. That's a decent lifestyle. You have times when you're a little more sedentary, you put on some weight, you realize it because, uh-oh, you know, stuff, mm -hmm. stuff's fitting a little tight. You do what you need to do to get back down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't think there's ever a, uh, well... Yeah, that that is the new normal, right? It's like going up and down. There's never right. like a fluctuations, perfect steady but normal. micro fluctuations. Yeah. Yeah. When you're super overweight, going up 20 pounds and losing 20 pounds, that's not a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I mean large yeah. fluctuations in weight happen because you diet for a while. Right. So you, right. you shed a lot of weight, but in an unhealthy way, and then you bounce back. Yeah. Um, now, micro fluctuations are normal. And I don't, mm -hmm. I, I, I said, stop weighing yourself. I didn't mean stop weighing yourself entirely. Obviously you need to, or you don't need to, but I want to um, try to, you know, track and make sure that I stay within a certain weight range. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to tell other people how to do it, but I can just tell them what I do and you know, mm -hmm. what I suggest and what I did for myself. So yeah, yeah, you weigh yourself every now and then, but I don't obsess and weighing myself every day. And that was something that my doctor said when I was, you know, I'd text him or I'd call him and I'd say, oh my God, what's going on here? You know, I haven't, I haven't lost a pound in, you know, I haven't lost a pound in two days. And he said, Ellie, stop weighing yourself every day at this mm. point, you know, weigh yourself three times a week. And then it was down mm. to twice a week. And then it was down to once a week. And then it was, he started, you know, let's do monthly weighings, you know, twice a month. And I thought, but how am I going to possibly track and keep track of all my data if I'm not, you know, weighing myself every day? And he said, you're yeah. going to drive yourself crazy and you're going to drive yeah. me crazy. So right. let's just, now it's time to start backing off of the obsessiveness and start focusing on just living your life. And, and let's do that first. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, is there anything else that I didn't ask that you would like to elaborate on or talk about or bring up to any of the listeners that you think would be valuable? 
No, I think we touched on everything. What I really want to make sure that I communicate with this, the biggest takeaway and learning experience for me was attitude really is everything. As much of a cliche as that is, it's a cliche for a reason. Um, and like I said, I work with a lot of people with, with disabilities. And in every case, every one of them will tell you that having a positive attitude is the basis and the fundamental building block for everything else. Mm. Um, everything else comes from there. If you don't start with a positive attitude and a positive outlook, nothing else will fall into place or it makes it really hard for other things to fall into place. So I would say that really is as cliche as it sounds, that's the, that's the place where you need to start. Yeah. I agree with you because as much as I like to go into nitty gritty of like, you know, uh, did you eat more spinach or did you like <laughs> go outside and ride your bike? Like, what did you do at the end of the day? If uh, you don't have the attitude that like, okay, I ate spinach and it was awful. And you know, I don't want to ever do that again. And then you're like, okay, well now I give up. Like that's, then we're not getting anywhere. Right. So right. definitely at the base and the fundamentals is uh, having a positive attitude. And I would hundred percent agree with that. I think during um most recently i started using five minute journal i'm not sure if you've heard of that before or five minute mornings or something but it it's a journal it's really basic and it has like three lines for three things i'm grateful for um three things that i want to get done today and then an affirmation line so you just like write i'm strong healthy whatever and then at night you can recap like what were the three best things that happened to me today and then what were what's something i could have done better with today and even just like starting my morning with that i um have found that I've been getting more podcast interviews. It's really weird. Like I was getting frustrated for a while because I couldn't find people with podcasts. But now ever since I do that, like I'm doing something small every day and I've had great interviews. So uh, it's, you know, anyway, I just, I fully believe in the attitude thing. I 100%. I'm going to try that out. I mean, I've, I've heard similar things, um, you know, listing things that you're grateful for, listing things that you are, you want to affirm. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll give that a try. The other yeah. thing that I wanted to say that just came up that I just thought of, sure. um, I still have all of the same insecurities. Mm. Um, those don't go away. I don't want people mm. to get the idea that I've lost all this weight and now I feel great about myself and I'm totally. Mm -mm. Securities don't really go away. That's not, I, I don't want to give people unreal expectations mm. um you need to work on those you you uh you you work on those things all the time constantly that's a that's a constant battle that everybody struggles with nobody has no insecurities true and it's interesting so what like you were talking about before where people would tell you that uh you've lost too much weight or you like you should start eating again for me um similarly people will tell me I actually like look really good and that um like I like I just look healthy and I'll be like come on I'm not I don't look healthy yet like I still have like 60 pounds I need to lose like you can't actually mean that like you're just saying that right and so that's like totally my insecurity being like you know I am supposed to fit this perfect model of like what good looks like so yeah I yeah, still feel that way I still feel that way and those things, I mean, everybody has insecurities. Yeah. Now I'm accepting of 
okay, hey, I'm, I, this is one of my insecurities and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with mm-hmm. feeling insecure about certain things. It's just now a matter of learning how to handle it. Uh, yeah, I don't really love eating vegetables. I really don't. I eat them, <laughs> but I don't love right. them. You know, yeah. I'm teaching my son to eat healthy and balanced. And there are some now that I enjoy eating in certain dishes, but I'll tell you, the more hidden they are, the better for me. Um, yeah. But I will force myself to eat it. I won't necessarily enjoy it. And I'm okay with the fact that I don't enjoy it. I don't feel like, oh, now I have to be a proponent of salads. Oh, I hate them, but I eat them. <laughs> That's awesome. Good. Yeah. Thanks for being honest about that. That's really great. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, this was wonderful. I had a really good time talking with you. I did too. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being on. Uh, I appreciate it. Is there anything that, uh, I know a lot of times I find people through Buzzsprout and they have their own podcast. Is there anything you want to talk about that you're working on to our listeners? Oh, well, um, I'm just starting a podcast with a friend, um, about inclusion and equity in learning. Okay. I see a lot of literature that is focused towards the general population in the United States or in the world um, and very few main characters of color or with disabilities or with other, mm. with other types of differences. And so mm. we are going to try to bring attention to uh, literature for you know, little kids up through high school that does focus on uh, inclusion and equity. And so we wanna, we wanna try to bring that, if we can bring it into schools, that would be great. But if not, we want to at least try to bring it into the public eye to help kids uh, and teachers and parents find books that will help other kids identify. You know, Great. Children of color or people with disabilities, anything like that. Do you have anything set up yet that they can go visit you at or not yet? Not Still yet. early. Okay, cool. Well, if we uh, get an update, I can update the show notes someday in the future. With I'd appreciate that. Yeah, Thank you, Sarah. Of course. Cool. Well, thank you again for being on. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Ellie's interview today. I thought it was awesome. A few points that he brought up. um, One was that he was really willing and ready to make that lifestyle change. And he recognized it was going to be a lifestyle change. He knew the weight loss surgery wasn't going to be a one and done thing. And he had... The positive attitude from the start being like you know what actually i really need to change my relationship with food so i think that was a leaps and bounds a good thing for him going into that surgery and part of the reason that contributed to his success i also think the compounding motivations were a lot of awesome things and good reasons and if you need to add motivations i'm telling you having one motivation is often not going to be enough so i'm i'm just preparing you right now that you should prepare yourself with more motivations uh to get something done Um, because it's going to be different every day and then uh the other thing that i like to point out is that large fluctuations um and fluctuations in your weight are going to happen in general. We're humans. We're not perfect. We're biological systems. We try to stay as close to the mean as we can, but at the same time, things do go astray depending on lifestyle. And, uh, I probably talked about this on a past podcast, but the scale is definitely deceiving and you can get on it and feel like you're supposed to be 10 pounds lighter, 
and then there's some times that you get on and you're actually a little bit of surprise. Those days don't happen as often, but at least not for me. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the scale, um, you know, is not necessarily a good indicator. If you're healthy, you can get back on that bike. You can do the things, take care of your kids, do all those other motivations. Um, the scale isn't going to dictate whether those other motivations are doable. Like, can you take care of your kids? The scale doesn't care. It's whether you physically can or not. So just all good things to keep in mind. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and spending some time with me. I hope you guys are hanging in there with this quarantine and staying healthy. Uh, if you know anybody that would be a good guest on this podcast, please reach out wlmwpodcast at gmail.com. And I don't have anyone lined up for next week yet after this, but hopefully I'll have someone. So uh, enjoy.